Father Anthony, how are you doing? I'm angry. How are why you? Whoa, whoa, why are you angry? <laughs> because sacramental records are making me angry today. I see. Oh. Uh, do, why do we? Why do we have to record first communion in a in a sacramental you record? You, you don't have to. Why do yes. I have to for some reason? You okay, don't have to. It's not canonically required. It's not a this permanent is what sacrament. I'm trying, this is what I'm trying to. But ugh. now I will. My diocese does have extra paperwork when it comes to things. Oh so maybe it's local law. I don't know. But here's the the story. Basically, been meeting with this person who was never confirmed. Meeting with this person for months and months, you know. And I find out she hasn't been confirmed. And I'm like, all right, let's get permission for you to get confirmed um you know she came back to the church i've been working with her for a while she doesn't need to go through rcia it just she just doesn't yeah because she was baptized catholic and everything right and so it was pretty simple i just sent i i i got her a little uh piece of paper saying she was baptized yeah and then i sent it off to the diocese pretty much right away they sent something back to me saying hey you can do the confirmation Great. Okay. Now I'm a disorganized person, so I've got this done, but uh, I didn't record it yet. Now right. all of our uh, old records from our parish, because we've become a new parish, they're all down at the archives. So oh. I'm, like, I, I'm aware that I need to send stuff to them, but I haven't. Anyway, but we still have our own confirmation books where we record mm -hmm. confirmations in our yep. parish. Yeah. Which. Even though you can record the confirmation at your parish, you also have to get that information back to wherever you were baptized. And if right. that church is closed, then it goes back down to the archives. And yeah. I am being told that I need everything for this confirmation thing, that I need marriage, I need first communion. And the first communion thing is what's really making me angry because that's the dumbest thing. You receive communion so many times. Why do exactly. you, why do you need to? It, we don't record just, permanent, we don't record, um, we don't record repeat, repeating sacraments. It's which is like what I'm trying to explain, but just from the other end, I mean, we're, it's just, I'm just very frustrated. And it's nobody's fault in particular because we're getting different information from different sources. But I'm just, it was just one of those things that just broke my brain a little bit today. Hmm. I, why would I need to, why don't we just send the confirmation information to the, di to the archives? That should be enough. That's all we should have to do. I mean, all you have to do really is send the information about the confirmation to the place of baptism. Right. That's it. That's all you need that's to all, do. That's all I should have to do. That's but all you have to do. For some reason, I have to do a bunch of other stuff. Why, why does your diocese require this? I don't know. I don't know if it's my diocese. I don't know if it's the vicar general who says we have to do this. I don't know if it's an old parish policy. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't feel like arguing anymore with the other people I'm working with. So I'm just going to try to I, figure it out. I, I, I just wouldn't do it. I'd just be like, I've done what I canonically required to do. Yeah, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. But Father Harrison, I'm not the pastor. And I don't want to play that card until I absolutely have to. So if this goes on another few days, I will play that card. I'll just say, hey, this is all that is required. Right. And that's just what I'm doing. Now, can you explain to the listeners quickly, though? Okay, despite all these frustrations. Yes. Why? Like, because we, it's true. We record everything with the place of baptism. Let's, let's mm -hmm. give people a little insight. Sure. Into this. You want to do it? Oh, why we do it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, this is why we do it. Okay, I'm putting so, you on the spot. I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we record all of the, um, you know, the permanent sacraments uh, in, the, in a book because uh, at the end of time, Jesus is going to come back again. He's going to come in all of his fiery glory. <laughs> 
and the first thing he's going to do is ask for all the parish records. Where are the registers? In, exactly. So if your name's in there uh, and it says you've been baptized and confirmed, then you go to heaven. If your name isn't in the book, then you go to hell. So that's why I have to make sure to record it. So I'm or not you saying have to, it's not Or important. you have to at least go to a processing line to, to see if you were possibly recorded in another book. Sure, exactly. Heaven exactly. is so, one big bureaucracy, obviously. It's exactly... But the more serious reason is because, uh, and maybe you can elaborate on this, but my understanding is because these sacraments are real and they happen and they can't be repeated and they're important, it's important to record them so that right. well, that okay. we have the information. Let, let's just use an example, folks, right? Because it's also about there. It's out of protection, not just for the person, but for the whole church. Let's oh, say, right, yeah. let us say... Um, not obviously hasn't happened, but let's say I, before I got ordained, I was actually married to someone in the church, but, and that was in another country. I left them, but it was record, you know, and, and I came to my diocese and I said, Hey, I want to be a priest. And I didn't tell them about this marriage or anything like that. Right. And they would need to find a way to prove this. And so they would have to look up to my baptismal register and they'd have to contact my parish of baptism. And there they would find like, hey, wait a second, you were married and you're still married. You have no, like no annulment or anything like that. You're not free to become a priest. Like, dude, we got to chat. So it would be very bad for the church if I was being duplicitous and trying to become a priest while not revealing my state of life at the time. Right. Um, or even so if, there, like, it's, what it's if you weren't baptized? Right. Right? Yeah. If you just you walked into the seminary and like, oh, don't worry, I've been baptized. I'm Catholic. I can say exactly. a whole Hail Mary. And, and they're I've like, okay, let's about, ordain you. <laughs> and I've heard about situations like that. Yeah. Yeah. Not many, okay. not many, but dioceses where they don't do their paperwork so much. I've heard about stuff like that. It's funny because like I hate paperwork with a passion. I think you do too. We, we, we all hate paperwork. Mm -hmm. However, when it comes to the sacraments, I've actually determined that it's actually really, really important. <laughs> It is important. Um, it actually I, really I, is. Because it's for the good of the people. It's like, I, I can't remember if I shared this once before. I had a wedding, and I and they gave me all this stuff. They gave me everything except for the, this person wasn't Catholic at the time. Um, gave me everything except for their civil marriage uh, um, um, certificate at the time. And I was like, okay, fine. She told me about the marriage that she was in. And um, I had proof already that he was previously married, her first her first husband. So I'm like, okay, yeah, you're free to marry. And I'm like, you have, you've had no other marriages. She goes, no. The week before the wedding, I finally get the register from them. And on the husband, on her previous marriage, on the husband's side, it said divorce. I'm like, good, that's what it's supposed to say. And then I look at her side, divorced. And I had to call her into the office. I said, did you have a second marriage? That you didn't tell me about a week before the wedding yeah yeah man it's a whole complicated thing i'm not gonna go to the whole thing we were able to fix it in the long run in the end but it's like i've learned since then paperwork's important it is paperwork's important because people lie that's yeah. the moral of the story well, there's that too, paperwork yes. doesn't lie paperwork tells the truth yes and the truth is important if you're catholic <laughs> and there's nothing more pa more clerical than paperwork so welcome amen clerical to clerically work for speaking. the clerics so. yeah i'm father harrison i'm father anthony well since since, you, since you've gotten the chance to rage Yes, you know you. You actually, people know the format is whoever introduces is usually the one who banters first. However, I gave you your space. You needed to you vent. Did. You, did. you needed to vent. It's all good. It's Thank all good. you. Uh, I uh, I have a lot to share. I, I obviously can't share it all. Um, but 
I got back from Australia last week. Yeah, you're right side up and everything. Yeah. So here's my first disappointment. It was okay. very hard to find a toilet that does the traditional flush. So wait, did it go? No, no, no. Uh, what I mean, what I mean by this is like it's a lot of these low flow toilets, so it just pushes oh, the water straight down. Right. I'm like, no, no, no. I want to see the water go another way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all these I, environmentalists that are ruining our dreams. I was out um, with Bishop. I was out shame. with Bishop Umbers one night, and we were out somewhere. And I went to the bathroom. I came out with my hands up. He goes, "What's what is it?" I was like, "I finally found a toilet that." That tr- flushes in the traditional manner here in Australia. He goes, you watch too much Simpsons because this is a whole <laughs> Simpsons gag, right? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, no, it was really awesome. I got to meet uh, uh, Justine, who's a podcast listener. And I, I know I, I met some people in Perth and in Sydney who both uh, – Matt Tan. Uh, I met other and others who are podcast listeners um, all throughout Australia. First, we have listeners in Australia. Can you believe it? I had yeah, people coming up. I mean, they speak English and we're awesome. So of course we have yeah. listeners in Australia. Um, but he, but they, uh, so I gave out some stickers while I was down there. Um, but yeah, it was really just, I was really actually hope filled by a lot of things in the church. I got to do my paper at my conference. Now here, here's the thing. I posted this on Twitter. I, I was actually quite nervous when I was giving, I was already nervous giving my paper at an academic conference. This is the yeah, first right. time. I get to my room and my buddy Tom, who's kind of the mastermind in getting me down there in the first place, he uh, he gives his paper, which was fantastic, and we were kind of going about the same subject from different angles, and I was it was really good. And 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 Tracy Rowland, who is, I'd say a pretty big deal theologian, mm-hmm. um, she introduced him and listened for his talk, and I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense. She's his supervisor for his doctorate. Hmm. So I'm getting ready. I'm putting my papers on my podium. And when it's time to start, she goes up to the podium. She's the one to introduce me. I'm like, uh. And then not only did she introduce me, she stayed and listened. Now, folks, you have to understand, Tracy Rowland is a rat singer. Like, she she really knows her rat singer. So, and I'm speaking, I'm doing a paper on rat singer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was nervous as heck. <laughs> I was like, ah. but no, everyone was so welcoming down there. I got to meet some students at uh, University of Notre Dame in both Sydney and in Perth, some teachers, some prof. I gave a talk to some profs in Perth. I gave a, a lecture at the Dawson Society. Uh, I got to pump our podcast all over the place. So I'm hoping, uh, hoping some people down under are, are new listeners this week. So how are you guys doing? But it was just, I, I, it, was a, it was a working holiday. I gave five talks in a week. But it was just a really good time. I had a lovely dinner with Justine and Pauline, um, and who are roommates, and, and uh, an older couple that they know from their parish. It was just one of the most delightful dinners I've ever had in my life. Uh, it was just such a, a joy to be able to get to meet them and hang out with them a bit. Uh, obviously, I, I mean, the other treat was to hang out with Bishop Umbers for a couple of days. Yeah, absolutely. And he's awesome. Like He and I, we get each other. We get each other. It was really good. He uh, he had some really nice things to say about the podcast, and mm-hmm. um, he showed. We went to Saint Mary McCallop's uh, shrine and okay. got to pray there, which was really awesome. He kind of took me around, showed me a little bit of Sydney. He said I have to come back uh, for a longer period next time, so he can take me to some other places. Mm-hmm. Um, we're both extroverts, so we were both joking about how for holidays. It, we can't go anywhere by ourselves. If we're going to go somewhere, there has to be someone there for us to hang out with. <laughs> yeah. And so we both got each other that way. And so it was great to hang out with him and he and share some jokes and some memes. I got to go on their on their Archdiocesan podcast, This Catholic Life. So that'll probably oh, be dropping. Neat. That'll probably be dropping soon. Uh, 
Peter Holmes, who who helps lead the podcast. He's also a listener of the podcast, ours. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been listening since day one. And uh, yeah, Ooh, so wow. it was just, yeah, yeah. He, it's just been, it was just a very delightful time. I, I was, it was just, I had, the, I can't wait to go back. Australia is really Harrison. cool. Your joy brings me joy. You this got to good. run around in Australia. You got to do yeah. awesome nerdy things and meet yeah. cool people. Delightful. It was it was really great. And you know, as I'm speaking here, and I totally forgot. So transition. The Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. I think that's even worse than the no transition transition. <laughs> I think we've hit a new low. And it's like an obvious place to go to. Like, since we're so bad, the obvious thing to do is just to yell transition. Um, but yeah, I, no, I appreciate that. I'm stealing that from a friend, and it's a bit from a whole other podcast universe. Oh. So, yes. But I was also like, I totally forgot to prep a, tra- a bad transition. So, mm-hmm, anyways, mm-hmm. do what though? This is good because people love the bad. It's true. Because we're all sinners, right? We love what what is distasteful. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, yes, we, we have a tendency to choose lesser goods, yes. Yes. So the uh, Summa Tweet, uh, Theologica is St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. And the first thing, I'm going to bring it up. I, this is, we're breaking the norms a little bit here. Okay. This is a, this is a news post from Catholic News Agency. Uh-huh. And it was a talk that Pope Francis was supposed to give to priests today in Rome, but he's sick. But I got to say, I don't know if you've seen, have you seen this yet by chance? No. Okay. You'll see it in the DM later. Okay. This was one of the best talks I've heard from him. Mm-hmm. It was so good. So I'll give you, I'll do a few summary lines here. He says this, the worship of initiatives is replacing the essential one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all. Adherence to initiatives risks becoming a yardstick of communion. Hmm. Right? And he goes on to outline different reasons why priests may become embittered. So it's really addressing priestly ministry. Why priests might become uh, embittered because they're getting to become too much, in, they're, they're becoming too much in the way of administrators. And they have too much, and they get embittered because also they're not being treated by their bishops like a father to a mm. son mm-hmm. and a father and bishops really have to exercise their office of teaching and also caring for their priests, not just in emergencies, but in the normal day to day as well. And to just get to know them. And, uh, and he, and he, and he says that really what a priest is supposed to do is a priest is to teach people what to believe mm-hmm. and to celebrate the sacraments. And he says that we need, and so we, we've given too much emphasis on on community instead of communion, Ooh. right? And that I was just like, anyways, like a podcast we recently did, yeah. And it was I, I just want to like thank you, Pope Francis, 
thank you for speaking to the heart of priests. Uh, uh, I read that news piece from Catholic News Agency, and my heart was singing. I thought to myself, wow, like, he's been listening. And it was just a very beautiful... (laughs) Well, no, because, like, you know, we hear different things, but, like, he really is listening, and he hears what's going on in the church. I thought you meant he was listening to our podcast. Oh, no, gosh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Pope Francis, if you are, you owe us a phone call, okay? Uh, Right, um, you call everyone. Call us. You call everyone. You can call us. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Wait, why is my phone ringing? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, No, but uh, it was such a beautiful talk to the heart of priests, recognizing the struggles of priests, but getting like is this something we we I think this is one of the essential themes of our podcast in general is this idea of getting back to what is essential in the church yeah. and removing what is superfluous um not like which is different than like liturgical tradition and stuff like that but like administrative and kind of the cultures of parishes things that are superfluous a saying no, no, we need to get back to what's essential to the life of a priest and what is essential to the life of a bishop and what is essential to the life of the church, which is communion. And, and he's just said, he spoke it in such a beautifully and powerful way. I was, I was just, it was, it, it, it brought a, a light to my day. Good. Comments. I'm glad. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's, um, it's good. I'm going to have to read it. Um, yes. uh, yeah, I've got nothing more to say. Okay. That was good. Cool. Uh, what do you got? I've got a tweet from Kevin HV Buai. He tweets this, watching cooking videos on Ash Wednesday like a fool. We haven't even mentioned it yet. Yeah, we're in Lent. Yesterday was Ash Wednesday. It's Lent now. My goodness. Or, yeah, yeah, it's it's Lent. Yeah, it's Lent. And, okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. So for Ash Wednesday, which uh, you have to uh, fast, so... Like, it's usually two small meals and one regular meal, which is yeah. barely anything, barely a fast at all. And then you have to avoid meat. Yeah. And I'm just going to come out and say it. For me, fasting is super easy. Yeah, because you fast all the time. I fast the all the time. Eat. I'm so bad at eating food. So, like, the fact that, yeah, yeah. So, yesterday, I mean, uh, sorry, Ash Wednesday, I ate two meals. And I was like, hey, you know what? Today was a pretty good day for eating for me. So... <laughs> Not even a big deal. But uh, getting to Kevin's Kevin's tweet, um, we do do weird stuff like torture ourselves sometimes. Yeah. yeah. On fasting days, right? So just watching cooking videos on Ash Wednesday, or we just like daydream about having steak on a Wednesday when everyone knows that you don't eat steak on a Wednesday. What days do mm-hmm. you eat steak? Probably not Fridays either. Right. But anyway, the point is that like we, I think we often make this more difficult than it needs to be. Yes. Well, and it's funny though how it all works. Mm-hmm. I incorporate fasting into my normal spiritual life and it's never really a problem. And yet for some reason it hits me really hard on Ash Wednesdays. Yeah. It always hits me hard on Ash Wednesday. I, it was four o'clock yesterday and I was in my bed. Like I felt like my blood sugar was super low or something like that. I, I, I was like, what's going on here? This is usually not a problem. Like on Tuesday, like a Tuesday, it's like, I, oh, do you want, I'll eat something later. I won't eat breakfast. I had something small for lunch. It was fine. Mm. Dinner, then dinner comes around and whatever. But I was like, and I didn't have dinner until nine o'clock on Tuesday night. And I was fine. I survived. You th- I thought I was like, it, it was just like, it was, I couldn't, I had a hard time surviving the fasting yesterday. Yeah. I, I did. But it was like, not just like, it wasn't so much the hunger part. It was the lack of energy, focus, and maybe feeling my blood sugar going a little low like i hate to say it i had to have like a little sugar after dinner just to kind of get myself 
into the zone for for uh, for um, for mass that night mm. because otherwise I was like I might faint during mass. <laughs> right? Well, that would be bad. Yes, that would be bad, right? Um, so, but it's funny how it works because then like today, I wake up, I get going with my day. I didn't even eat breakfast. I'm still pretty hungry from yesterday, and I'm fine. And I ate lunch before we podcasted, and I'm just like, <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> true why does it work this way yeah (laughs) but then yes we torture ourselves yeah yeah i did compensate yesterday a little bit by drinking a lot of caffeine so i was super wired for my 7 p.m mass i wasn't planning on doing this but i just went off on alms giving in my homily and was just yelling about how we don't give enough money to the church which i i don't know if it was the most prudent thing to do but i just like i just went off on alms giving i was like hmm too much coffee before mass uh you'll get uh more father anthony uncut so that's interesting so I, I want since we're talking about ash wednesday homilies might as well um so i gave my homily at the school yesterday and i gave a little verberino for the for verino for the um adults who were there too we had a lot of parishioners coming to that mass as well right. and so i just kind of gave a two-parter uh, at 9 a.m and as i was praying this, that morning i was reading um i've been reading pope benedict's the yes of jesus christ for spiritual reading hmm. and uh he's talking about acedia and I was going to preach on something totally different. I can't remember what I was even going to preach on anymore for at first for Wednesday night, and but it's just something coming on my heart. And he's like, "No, no, you need to speak about the desires of the heart, mm. and I want you to focus on Joel's phrase: rend your hearts, not your garments." And so that's what I did. I'm like, "All right, that's what I'll preach on, Jesus. If that's what you want." Um, we had someone that come who came to mass who doesn't really come to church who doesn't like going to church who uh had a very profound experience last night is coming to meet me tomorrow and apparently it's because of the homily oh wow and i'm like oh okay i guess so it's like it's funny too how that all works it's like i had zero intention of preaching on this i'm like this is not the usual shtick for my for my audience uh but Jesus worked. It was really amazing. It was like, I was like, holy smokes, Jesus. You really still still do awesome things. This is, yes, good. Yeah. All right. Um, so, all right. Since we mentioned him earlier, uh, at Bishop Umbers, who is on a Twitter fast, he's only on Facebook. And I said to him, that sounds like the worst of penances to be on right? Facebook. Right, to for, be for, on Facebook. On Facebook for, for Lent. So he says this. Um, I wonder if there is a single soul in Thala who knows I am their bishop. So do you know in, what he's talking in, about? In, I, I have a guess. I, I have a guess. Yeah. So Bishop uh, Umbers is an auxiliary bishop, That's right? right. Uh, but in order to be a bishop, you have to have a diocese. You have to have a territory. You need to be attached to a territory. Right. So basically, auxiliary bishops are super sketchy, and the church has figured out a super sketchy way to make them legitimate. Yeah. And that is, they'll take suppressed dioceses, so dioceses that, that don't exist anymore, and they'll give those places to auxiliary bishops so they can be assigned in a real diocese. So every auxiliary bishop has some weird little place of the world that he's technically in charge of but not at all at the yeah. same time it's super weird so uh apparently there's a few places that come up on wikipedia that's tala but i'm pretty sure it's tala tunisia and it's a place with one thirteen thousand nine hundred sixty-eight inhabitants and so maybe there's a few catholics there and maybe. technically technically 
he would be their bishop. So yeah, this is a weird way that the um, church has come to deal with with auxiliary bishops or bishops who work in the Vatican or who have other posts like nuncios. Every bishop has to be tied to a place. And this has been the case since the earliest days of the church. Um, it, governance has to hold over a particular place. And so when they name auxiliary bishops, yeah, like you said, they find obscure places that have no Catholics and say, yeah, you're bishop of that place. Even though your ministry will never have anything to do with that place. It's a little weird. I I, I mean, no offense to Bishop let's Umbers. Just, I, let's I just, just I just call say, it what it is. Let's call it what it is. This is nothing against Bishop Umbers, who yeah, exactly. a good awesome. man, good priest, deserves to be a bishop as much yes. as anyone can deserve that, right? But auxiliary bishops are BS. Yeah, I kind they of They make agree. no sense. Especially in regards to the... Th- to what Vatican II has been saying around the theology of the episcopacy. Ridiculous. Yeah. I kind of That's agree. my hottest take that I'm going to give. I, I agree so, with that take. I agree with that take. Yeah. Cool. Now, I, of course, submit with religious blah, 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 yeah, right, what right, the church right, says. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Cool. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Wait. Yes. I've got another one. Which one? Yeah. Did I, I was just looking it up. Where did it go? It's over here. And since we're going to... Oh, yeah. Okay. This is from Sister Teresa at Sister Teresa M. And she tweets... The one day a year I feel like a terrible Catholic because I don't like pancakes or waffles. Or so waffles? I assume, or waffles? I assume Sister is talking about uh, either Fat Tuesday or Shrove Tuesday or Pancake Tuesday or Mardi Gras or just the day before Ash Wednesday when we all just engage in beautiful, glorious gluttony. Okay, so here's the thing. Is Sister a bad Catholic because she doesn't like pancakes or waffles? And the answer is is no, you're just a bad person. (laughs) And being a bad person means you make an excellent Catholic because we go to the church and we go to Jesus Christ, not because we're good, but because we're sinners, because we're disordered. So you're a great Catholic, just a terrible person because you don't like the the deliciousness that is pancakes or waffles. So here's the thing. I I mean, you know where I stand on pancakes. (laughs) The waffle saga of Father Harrison. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know where I stand. Everyone knows where oh, I stand. Oh, sorry. On pancakes. pancakes. Pancakes yeah, is pancakes. your thing. Waffles are great. I love waffles. I just, I mean, I, uh, it's tough. It's tough um, because I like them both. And it all depends on what kind of mood I'm in, um, which one I, I prefer. I like uh, the, I like the crispiness of the waffle. Like the, yeah, the crispy outside yeah. with, like, I've always liked that about food in general. The texture of crispy on the outside, but fluffy on the inside yeah. has always been something that really appeals to me. So waffles just hit all my taste buds properly and my texture buds properly or however you want to put it uh yeah so but uh no it does not make you a bad person it doesn't even make you a bad person sister it makes you a person with normal human tastes and like i'm with you i don't really like uh, i don't get this whole thing about gorging down on, like gorging down on pancakes on two on a tuesday before lent is not my idea of a celebration give me a nice steak or give me a bunch of candy or something like that. I don't care. Something that I really just I know I'm going to enjoy. Uh, I'll, I'll ch- I will devour all of that. But eating pancakes for dinner before like that sounds like Lent starting early. <sighs> We're just gonna keep disagreeing on this. I, I don't have the energy. Don't well, you have know, the energy to argue with you. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what? I think. St. Thomas Aquinas, I'm sure, has a has an answer to this. Probably. He probably does. We've been doing the Summa Tweetologica, but folks, we are not ending the Thomistic theme today. No, we're not. We're going we to ha- go even deeper. We're going to get extra presbyteral. 
with our special guest, Father Gregory Pines, in Presbyteral Exhortations. And now it is time for Presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the best part. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, quite. quite. Yes, quite. So, Father Anthony. Yes. We, have, we are extra presbyteral today. Extra presbyteral? How much more presbyteral can we possibly get? Well, not only do we have an, another priest on with us today, mm-hmm. not only do we have another priest, we have a religious priest with us today. And in fact, this is a first for Clerically Speaking. We have a Dominican priest. We, we, we have deigned to allow them into our presence. Wow. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, so we would like... Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, it was easy enough because religious priests don't actually do anything, so it was really easy <laughs> to schedule this uh, recording session with them because, you know, they're not busy like, you know, real priests. Exactly. So. We're asking, like, so when are you free? He's like, well, I'm free this whole week. I'm like, well, that's, man, it must be nice to be a religious priest. <laughs> uh, Welcome, sorry, Father we're just teasing. Gregory Fine. <laughs> Gregory Fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so so podcast. Yeah. I figured that I'd, I'd I'd celebrated my priest for the, or my mass for the month, so it was about time I did something <laughs> yeah, nice. something else, you know, contributed, as it were. Uh, so why don't you tell the good folks uh, a little bit about yourself? Gladly. So my name is Father Gregory Pine. I'm a Dominican friar of the province of Saint Joseph, which is located in the eastern United States. So big houses in New York and in Washington D.C. and in Providence, Rhode Island. And I, let's see, I went to Steubenville for undergrad, and then I entered the order. I was ordained in 2016. Since then, I've been living off the fat of the land, as religious priests are wont to do. Just kidding. Uh, I finished some studies. I uh, served for a year at our parish in St. Louis Bertrand in Louisville, Kentucky, and taught at Bellarmine University. And then for the last year and a half, I've been working for the Thomistic Institute in Washington, D.C. And uh, I was delighted to meet you both at SLS this uh, this past winter, so cheers. Yeah, yeah. You, you just had to throw some salt on the wound, didn't you? No, I. He <laughs> was being nice, but we all know won. they won. They won. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, for those for those listeners at home, we were we were participants in a trivia contest. So there's a podcast called uh, the the Quizzical Papist, and it was Dominicans versus diocesans. And um, I, I'd love you know to take credit for our victory, but truth be told, I didn't know I didn't know anything from start to finish. <laughs> like honestly, honestly, it was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. I thought you guys were going to smoke us, but we we had enough questions that were in our wheelhouse. We're as close until the end. So well, and it was funny too because. I was feeling pretty confident, and then the the final category was geography. I'm like, oh no, I suck at geography. <laughs> I am the worst. I have no knowledge whatsoever about knowledge. Although I was still very proud of my brown brown Joey answer. Yeah, that was I was right? blown away by that. Um, <laughs> and I was thought- just, I didn't even hear it before. I just kind of I just kind of you know came to I reasoned towards it. Yeah, so kudos on your ratiocinative power. Um, but when, when Father Brad asked if I would do it, I said, sure, as long as all the questions are about the Summa Theologiae or the Philadelphia 76ers, I'm your man. And then none of them were about either of those things. I felt betrayed. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. that was No, it was a good time. It was a good time, and it was great to meet you there, too. That was a, that was a fun week at SLS. Was that your first time at SLS? That was, yeah. I'd been at yeah. Seek three years previously in San Antonio. Okay. But um, yeah. I was kind of overwhelmed by the number of people there. I wasn't prepared, so I kind of just hid 
uh, and yeah. heard confessions for multiple hours each day. I was like, yeah. this is a this is a setting in which I will only have to talk to one person at a time. <laughs> uh, so I was a little more prepared this this go around, and there were fewer right. people. So that was good. So so, so you're extroverted. Am I yeah, exactly? Yeah, <laughs> to a to a fault. You know. Yeah. You see, I'm the opposite. I'm like, oh, there's so many people here. This is the greatest place in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not quite. Cool. Awesome. So yeah, we brought uh, we brought uh, Father Gregory on today uh, to t- for him to come talk to us about uh, the Dominican uh, the the Thomistic Institute that you guys are, are running with the Dominicans. Right. And this. Real quick and before yes. we get into this, before okay, we get fine, into this, fine, fine, Father Gregory, you were about to tell us a story about your habit. <laughs> I just want to get you started telling it, and I stopped you. So, you but did. can you just tell us the story? Yeah, yeah, gladly. Here it comes. Um, so while wearing a habit, a Dominican friar is mistaken for many things. I actually think. This is this is one dimension of life where I envy Franciscans, you know, because I think that the brown habit or the black or charcoal is more recognizable to folks who have seen Robin Hood and such like things. <laughs> um, but for those who see a Dominican, the first association with a, with a person who wears all white and who has a hood is negative. Um, Post Civil War, American South, negative. Um, and then their next few answers are kind of hilarious non sequiturs. They're like mm, Jedi. Uh, ninja. It's like, well, come on, guys. Like, try harder. But today, I walked into a Safeway because it was one of those combination Safeway coffee shop type setups, and I was driving and feeling overwhelmed by fatigue. So I pulled over, I walked into the Safeway, and the cashier looked at me, and it wasn't as if he had like a quizzical look or he was posing it as a question. He was just pretty confident in his judgment. He goes, oh, are you LARPing? (laughs) Uh, So I informed him in language, you know, that I thought would be easily communicable. I'm a Catholic priest and a monk. And he goes, oh, I am so sorry. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. You know, it's no big deal. (laughs) That's hilarious. So I'm just curious. I'm actually curious now. What part of the Summa does St. Thomas deal with LARPing? Yeah, excellent point. And is he pro or negative? Yeah, so so LARPing being live action role playing for those who are not familiar would probably come in in the Secunda Secunda in question 50 on war, right? And he actually he, there's an article there where he talks about whether it's legitimate to ambush and he says yes, right? Because it's not it's not a lie or a willful deception. It's just kind of a withholding of your plans from your enemy so that way you can be victorious in your defense of the common good. So I think all LARPers basically have this type of argument at heart when they proceed as they do. I was not expecting that. That was brilliant. I totally it's was. A, You're going to ask a oh uh, Dominican. Oh my he, gosh, he's going to come up with great. something. Come on. It's going to be great. Born nerds. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about what the uh, Thomistic Institute is, what it is, what it does, how much about of Ratzinger and Bonaventure do you guys talk about? Mm, excellent questions <laughs> all. Uh, So the Thomistic Institute was founded 10, 11 years ago. It's based out of the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, D.C., where uh, friars of the province of St. Joseph do their formation. It's also open to other priests, religious, and lay students, but small faculty. And um, the idea 10, 11 years ago was that, um, you know, we we have an embarrassment of riches. Would that we could share these riches in a way that would be of use to the universal church. So the TI was set up basically to host conferences. So we did some conferences with Princeton Theological Seminary, some kind of Aquinas-Bart dialogue things. We have a philosophy conference in Newburgh, New York each summer, which is kind of like a Thomistic philosophy jamboree. And then from there, we added a priest conference, um, which incidentally uh, is occurring again this year, ninth annual in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, July 21 through 23. Check it out. 
and then about five years ago, we had the idea that, okay, Thomism is sweet. Talking about Thomism <laughs> with Thomists is double sweet. Uh, but what if Thomism were to be broken open evangelically to people on college campuses whose heads are spinning with all of the like mindless, nonsensical first principles that are being pawned off as if they were real? And so we said, let's go. Um, so we started our campus chapters program um, at four universities. And then since then, it's grown maybe 10, 12 universities. So we're at about 55, 60 uh, secular you know, college campuses in the United States, Canada, in uh, UK, in Ireland. We just started in China. And basically what, what students can do is they organize. They get recognized by their university as a chapter of the Thomistic Institute. And then they can host lectures effectively. So they'll have like three or four lectures a semester. They'll have reading groups, watch groups for uh, sweet Catholic content. And then they get invitations to conferences, to retreats, uh, to formation of different sorts. And the idea is basically that it's for the intellectual evangelization of your campus. So since Christianity is really not presented in the modern university as a viable intellectual option, a lot of people just kind of dismiss it out of hand. But if you can get it on campus, people see that the faith has chops, uh, that it has arguments, that it has reasons and as a result of which that it can shed light on your disciplines, but also be deeply unsettling for uh, for first principles that are poorly conceived and inimical to the truth. So, yeah, that's that's the basic shape. Yeah, so let's say there's uh, Catholics listening right now who um, go to Mass familiar in general with Catholic stuff, but Thomism is kind of a new word for them. Like, they might understand sure. what theology is, but what, what makes Thomism its particular own branch of... Uh, what would you say? Philosophy, theology, way of thinking? How would you describe it? So I think um, in its basic contours, Thomism is a way of doing theology that has both a kind of form to it and a content to it. So on the one hand, you look to St. Thomas Aquinas for how he does theology. On the other hand, you look to him for what he said. So a lot of times you'll hear that St. Thomas was a great synthesizer. That's not like a, the musical instrument that the Flight of the Concords are known for playing, um, especially in the hit song Inner City Pressure. Um, but it is a, uh, so it's a way of, you know, taking seemingly disparate intellectual options on offer and then bringing them to bear on uh, a problem and finding that you, you have rich conceptual resources, rich resources in both traditions. So I think like St. Thomas is especially good reader of scripture uh, and a good reader of the tradition, but he's also reading Jewish philosophers like Moses Maimonides. He's reading Islamic philosophers like Averroes and Avicenna. He's reading pagan philosophers like Plato and Aristotle. He's reading church fathers from the East and from the West. He's reading the best of, you know, philosophical anthropology and the best of, you know, anthropological science. So he's bringing to bear these things which people would assume are pitted against each other, you know, like faith and reason or like faith and science. And he's showing that the truth is one, the truth is symphonic, and as a result of which we needn't fear uh, genuine inquiry wherever it is conducted because we can always find therein a way by which to discover God and his creation. And then content-wise, uh, St. Thomas just, he gets it right a lot of the times but he gets it right in a way that's very wise. So he's not just saying, here's a thing I know, here's another thing I know, here's a third thing I know. Ha! He's actually, he's, he's showing you... If you, you want that, you just listen to our podcast. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> he's uh, awesome. Okay, perfect. So he's, he's trying to um, show you how the truths of the faith are articulated, and that is to say, like, how they hang together. 
So he wants to show you how everything issues from the Trinity and how it's all crowned in the redemption. And so he's doing the work of connection, um, which I think is the work of, you know, a wise philosopher and theologian. It pertains to the wise man to order, says Aristotle. And so St. Thomas is showing you how all of these things, they, they come forth from God and they return to God and that they can be studied um, in a way that reflects their interior order. Um, so I think I think sometimes people like they know that this holy person said this and that this wise person said this and that this cool interesting person said that and we do our best to kind of cobble together a talk when we give a witness at like a youth conference that's supposed to be eight minutes long. Um, but to study theology with St. Thomas Aquinas is really to get a sense for the mind of God. Wow, Father Gregory, did you just say that? That's, that's, that's unbelievable and untenable. Well, not, not that you can know God comprehensively, but that your own mind can be gradually more and more attuned to that of the Lord's own. So that's, I mean, that's the hope that you could see things as God sees them and explain them as such. Cool. Um, now, yeah, this is all very interesting to me because like, I, I actually, I, I'll throw a little kind of weight to everything you've been saying about your institute in general too is i've actually been personally i've been using some of your lectures and stuff like that lately because so uh where i went to seminary um it was it was actually quite quite good and we were very heavy communio theology which is like i love it right and and i will i'm a big ratzinger as people know in this podcast I'm a big ratzinger guy big baltazar guy those stuff like that my one beef at seminary at times though was that we got almost no Thomism. And part of it was as a reaction to some of the twistings of Thomas that happened in the early 20th century and stuff like this. But anyways, I've been, so I've been doing research lately and, and for my doctorate, and I've been reading uh, 20th century guys commenting on Thomas, like um, um, Javara and, uh, and, and Ferdinand Ulrich. And, um, and it's been very good, but it's also been saying to me, like, I need to know more Thomas. And so I've been listening to some of the lectures that you guys have, because I drive a lot. So I'm like, I'm listening to lectures and, and I mean, I'll be honest, sometimes I'm like, okay, listening to arguments about causation while driving, maybe not the best idea at times, <laughs> but they've been actually super helpful for me to understand like how just like, for example, his argument from causation is not just about a horizontal thing, but it's also something vertical. It's something, it's a metaphysical argument as well. And it actually becomes not just an argument, but you see deep in Thomas's argumentation, a kind of mystical awareness at, of God's presence here and now, right? And so I've been finding it really helpful. And 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 so I've been finding those podcasts. I've also been finding, um, you know, I've been checking out sometimes your guys' uh, uh, YouTube videos that you've been doing on Aquinas and stuff like that. So maybe you can uh, tell us a little bit about that as well. Yeah, sure. That's yeah. All, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that. That's super encouraging. I like um, maybe just a, a theological point and then a, some practical points. But uh, Father James Brent who uh, teaches philosophy at the Dominican House of Studies. Very wise, um, very very smart, and an excellent presenter. He always gives very rich examples that are very concrete and helpful. But he explains the Summa in terms of the presence of God. So he'll, he'll talk about how the first part is about the presence of God in creation. The second part is about the presence of God in man. The third part is about the presence of God in Christ and his sacraments. So I think I think what the point that you highlight, namely that that Saint Thomas is a mystical theologian, is one that that is often missed because I think mm-hmm. sometimes Thomists can do a disservice to Thomas because we tend to be brats, right? So if you're ever no. having a kind of a kind of fruitful argument, you know, over some beers 
and you're a couple in and people are just kind of getting to that point of wild speculation where the words are really flowing and you're like yes this is the reason for which we have come and then that Brett just chimes in he's like well St. Thomas says and he intends it as a complete conversation ender and you're like why did you why who invited you leave 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 now this so, is why we've never had Dominicans on the podcast really <laughs> exactly so. we are meant to be spurned um, caged and forgotten um so yeah, I think that the Thomism can often be wielded as a cudgel because mm-hmm. if you read a little bit of Thomas, you're like, wow, this guy knows a lot of things. And if I read, then I'll be the type of person who knows a lot of things. And then you just kind of saunter through your theological conversations and act as if you did know. When truth be told, St. Thomas is operating in a much richer like register. You know, he, he's mm-hmm. these things are are made known to him in Revelation, and he's engaged in a kind of act of ongoing revelation. I'm not saying he's a prophet. I'm not saying he's divine. But I'm saying that that the riches of revelation which are communicated to him are being transposed into a different language and that he is actually communicating to something to you of, of God's own speech, which is yeah. awesome. Um, yeah. So I think that like at the Thomistic Institute, yeah, you know, that's what we want to do. And so, yeah, pl- ways in which people can avail themselves are the podcast, which you mentioned. So whenever we have lectures on campus, we record them, we put them up, we're working on the audio quality. Sometimes it's embarrassing. It's like, you know, we record it from our seat in the audience while eating yeah. a bag of Lay's potato you, chips, you know. Or you put, you put a phone at the at the, at the the podium or something like that. Yeah, just kind of hoping for the best. So we're, we're improving audio <laughs> quality. So if you find a couple of them discouraging, fear not. Um, and then we have this series of YouTube videos called Aquinas 101. And the point is that it would introduce you slowly, slowly into the thought of St. Thomas, because I think a lot of people have the sense that, okay, St. Thomas, cool. People talk about him, letting know stuff. And then you make your first attempt at reading Thomas and you're like, sweet Christmas, not for me. Um, so, so the hope of Aquinas 101 is to give you the vocabulary and the grammar to, to profit from reading St. Thomas, but as a result of which to mm-hmm. profit from reading the Christian intellectual tradition. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like there are things that St. Augustine writes, which a lot of people find difficult, like the De Trinitate. You know, you've read the Confessions, you're like, this is beautiful. And then you pick up the De Trinitate, you're like, back on the shelf, not a chance. <laughs> um, so the hope is that by watching these videos, you get a little bit of the language, you get a little bit of the genre, right? And then yeah. you get gradually introduced into the concepts. Um, so yeah, the, the podcast is a big thing. And then, um, you know, like the, the videos themselves are another gem. So, yeah, those are those are two rich resources. Cool. Um, so h- how have you guys been finding this stuff's been received so far? Like, like, how do you find how how are, how are, how is this working, especially maybe like on campuses? Like I was, that, I was really intrigued by what you guys are offering on campuses. Like first, actually, my first question is where in Canada are you guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have two chapters at the University of yeah. Toronto and at okay. Queens in Kingston. Okay. Cool. Um, so, University of Toronto just started with a uh, one student there, Megan, and then yeah. Queens came shortly thereafter at the encouragement of Father De Sousa. Yeah. Um, and yeah, who who's a gem, and the students there are super wonderful. Russell, super motivated. Um, we'll we'll so, chat some more after the podcast here. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, let's see. I think so the reception it's kind of hard to do outcomes assessments on right. what type of fruit is born of these things that's not to say like we're lazy and we don't want to do outcomes assessments but I, I think you're lo- religious like you guys don't care about these exactly things, right? so. yeah <clears throat> I have too many naps to take um, <laughs> so the thought of actually doing follow-up is oppressive right. this um, is why you're falling asleep when you're driving earlier right because exactly you, you only had one nap instead of three exactly yeah a general spirit right. of <laughs> somnolence just kind of overtakes me about this time of the day 
Um, <laughs> yeah, Chester, one of Chesterton's favorite words is somnambulist, you know, a sleepwalker. I wonder what you would call a sleep driver, a somvehiculist. That sounds like a bad word, so I'm never going to say that again. Um, so uh, so I think the fruits that the fruits are often, so, you know, like you, you, you take attendance and more and more people come. And then you receive these emails from people with follow-up questions. And then you hear about people entering RCIA. You hear about people changing their major. You hear about people um, <clears throat> kind of looking at their studies in a different way. So if there's one thing, what is the Thomistic Institute for? If there's one word, I would say communion. Uh, and that, you know, hopefully resonates with a heart patterned after the theology of, you know, uh, I was about to canonize some people, Hans Erzman Balthazar and Joseph Ratzinger. Right. Right. Um, so it's the idea is that you see... Um, you see the intellectual life as one issuing from the triune God. So at the heart of what is, there is a there is an interpersonal God, but that communion begets communion. So the Lord doesn't want us to come to the discovery of him or to the enjoyment of him alone, but rather in relationships. And so there are a lot of relationships, you know, between among students, between the students and the professors, among the professors, right? And then with the Dominicans, those who, you know, the staff of the Thomistic Institute and the people whom we serve. The whole idea really is that you know, you can you can do you can do a lot of things remotely, and you can do a, you can subcontract a lot of things. But ultimately, it's for these kind of relationships that grow out of these particular chapters, and then at the conferences and retreats. So I love I I um kind of run the retreats, I suppose logistically. I don't know that they're actually run. Who knows? Um, but we have retreats in Massachusetts, in um, let's see, in the Bay Area, in Oakland. We just have our first retreat now in Canada, in Kingston, and looking to to have a few more in D.C. and in Texas. And so you, you give people, quote unquote, an intellectual retreat, which sounds like silly and highbrow because it's like an intellectual retreat. If there's one thing that Americans no, that's don't called like, that's called heaven. Nice. OK, perfect. <laughs> right, Father Anthony? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> he says begrudgingly. Um, if there's one thing, yeah, that American, I can't speak for Canadians, but Americans just hate things that are preceded by the word intellectual. It's like, are you kidding? Are you elitist? <laughs> I'm going to drive my Ford F-150 through the front doors of that meeting and then never look back. Um, yeah. So the, basically what they are is just a normal retreat, as you would expect, with adoration, confessions, mass, time for prayer, divine office. And then the, um, the conferences are given by uh, a priest and then a lay professor. And we tell them typically to kind of pitch it to an intelligent group of nuns. So the idea is that you would, it would be, you know, it would be smart, it would be scholarly, um, but not highbrow. And that it would be mystical, right? So it would be an introduction to the Lord in a new way. Because I think a lot of people are of the mind, or not of the mind, I suppose, that um, thinking matters too terribly much about the spiritual life, right? Because mm -hmm. devotion is something that's rooted in the will. It's a matter of giving yourself promptly. Charity, that's rooted in the will. It's a matter of loving the Lord well. But, but like faith, you know, does it have an actual intellectual content? It seems like it's more just kind of trust, which is another volitional thing. So, I don't, I don't, you know, like a lot of people, you know, just whatever, study, not study, doesn't matter too terribly much. But the hope of the Thomistic Institute is to show basically that to, to love the Lord well, it helps to know the Lord well. And that's not to say that, that you know, smart will enter first. Uh, as we know, it's, you know, the lame will enter first. Um, but it is to say that if the Lord gives us a mind with which to know him, then we are, you know, best suited to use it as such. Um, and so I think I, like what I, what I find in these campuses is just people that are set on fire with knowing about the Lord and they don't become brats, right? They become genuinely passionate about it. They become protagonists of the work. They're super motivated about engaging their peers. Um, and then like you'll have a conversation, like I'm thinking of this one woman who's in charge of the chapter at Yale and I was having a conversation with her. She's like, Father Gregory, like why don't they all come? You know, why don't they all come? This could change their lives. They're all like 
sin-soaked and sad, you know, why why not come? Because mm-hmm. she herself has just found such such freedom in it. So, yeah, things like that. Cool. Father Anthony, you got anything to say here? Yeah. So I, I, I've been talking a lot, so. No, no, you're good, you're good. <laughs> Father Harrison, if you ever get the chance to nerd out, who am I to keep you from doing that? I would never do that to you. Um, but uh, you kind of mentioned in the beginning this whole idea of uh, first principles and the erroneous ones coming from culture, what they're living on college campuses versus what you were saying. Uh, can you explain that more? What does that mean, that the first principles, why is that a bad thing? What's, what's going on? Sure. I think... Um a lot of people don't really talk about first principles, so you kind of just start the discipline without talking about how the discipline begins. And so, you know, you're coming to school, there isn't any formal instruction in religion, perhaps that's, that's good at a lot of secular schools because, you know, God forbid they gave you formal instruction in religion, sweet Christmas. Um, but instead, you get your, you know, Evo Psych, you get your cultural anthropology class, you get your, you know, whatever, fill in the, fill in the blank. And the professor just begins. And in the course of those lectures, you begin to appreciate the fact that, um, you know, he doesn't have too much patience for religious faith, and he seems not to admit the possibility of anything immaterial, like the soul or angels or God or, or, you know, whatever, other things. And that um, he seems to be of the mind that law is like an incursion upon freedom. You know, like all these things just kind of come out. And what you find is that there actually, there are first principles, right? But they just haven't been acknowledged. They haven't been addressed at the outset, nor have they been subjected to scrutiny. But instead, they're just smuggled in. And as a result of which, they operate at the level of a kind of unspoken ideology. And this can infect the thinking of students. Um, And as a result of which, they end the class either feeling kind of violently betrayed or they feel unsettled, or at the very least, they're, they're just kind of disturbed. Um, and so if you, you have these topics introduced on campus where they can engage with first principles and they can think about the things that matter most and they can do so in an environment where they're supported um, to think well and clearly and honestly, to entertain real arguments, right, to have rational exchange, uh, then they, they, they often feel very much empowered by that. Now, now mind you, are they going to chime in during their classes? Probably not because they'll be persecuted for that, but at least... They'll be fortified in their faith, you know, and in the love of their peers and in the support they have from these professors um, to stick to their guns rather than just being kind of intimidated out of the faith over the course of four years of, you know, tacit ideology. Yeah, thanks. I think it's helpful. Um, Maybe a a broader question. So you are a Dominican, um, obviously a big fan of Thomas and Thomism. And you're doing this whole Thomistic Institute. You know, I'm thinking about uh, Father Harrison, how like your your guys, Ratzinger, Balthazar. And it's um, and different. There's different um, traditions, intellectual traditions within the church. And sometimes people will pit these things against each other because I do have different perspectives. But um, uh, I guess to get to the actual question I'm trying to ask is um, why go all in on Thomism? Um, not yeah. that you're opposed to other kinds of thinking, but, you know, there are various... I mean, yeah, why do you hate certain... rats here so much? <laughs> and how dare you? I'm, I'm trying to be the nice one here. No. Um, yeah, what's going on here? How come I'm the mean one today? Right. And not yeah. saying that like, okay, you so... exclusively think with that, but, um, yeah, what's what's kind of like right. that appeal? Maybe for you personally and what you think, it how it's beneficial um, for people in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think... Um, in, in general, my approach is kind of like old school liberal in the sense that uh, where there is 
space for legitimate variety. I'm all for encouraging legitimate variety. Like let a thousand flowers bloom. I think part of part of the like my espousal of Thomism is is kind of to draw an analogy. It's like how I became best friends with you know my best friend. Uh, it's it's almost it's almost by historical accident. And I'm not saying that Thomism doesn't have reasons. But when we come to something, uh, it's often a kind of discovery. It's a revelation. It it has it has an element of vocation to it. You know, it's like, why did you join the Diocese of Pittsburgh? Or why did you join the Diocese of Vancouver, I'm assuming? or Victoria. Uh, Victoria, sorry. Um, well, it's because, like, you live there. You know, like, well, well, yeah, didn't yeah. you make an Excel spreadsheet to compare the relative merits of all the presbyterate and all of the diocese throughout the entirety of Canada? Or, you know, like, no, no, you didn't do that because that'd be creepy. Right. Um, you just you just like enter the place where you were born because that's an entirely sane way to go about it. And I think a lot of our decisions are made for us in that way. And it doesn't make them irrational or lazy. Like, why do I speak English as my first language? Because my parents do. It's like I should have chosen better parents. It's like, oh, yeah. No, no. They should have let you choose your own language. They should have given you all those languages when you were a kid. You said, I choose this one. Right. That's true. They should just have like sat me faith, in like right? a steel room and let me exactly. devise my own uber language. Um, so I think the reason that I came to be a Dominican is because I read about St. Thomas Aquinas. The reason that I came to Thomism is, again, because that's that's what I fell into. And do I think that it's good? Absolutely. Do I think that it's better than some things? Sure. But I think that in order to make that claim, you actually have to know the other things. And I don't think a lot of people do the work of knowing the other things. I think they just assume that they know the other things, and then they just insist upon their thing. So I think that um, in the church, there should be an ongoing dialogue. We should be a model to the world about how conversation is to be conducted. Because usually mm -hmm. when people hear the word dialogue, they break out in hives and feel like jumping out of a third-story window. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's usually, it's just like condescension and patronization. It's not really dialogue. So if we want to conduct a conversation and if we want to show the world that exchange of ideas is possible, you know, conversion is possible, you can come to a deeper knowledge of the truth and we should model it. So I think, I mean, I came to Thomism for these reasons. I've come to appreciate it for a variety of reasons, but I'm still learning how to become a native speaker of a second tongue. Like I've read some von Balthasar, I've read some Ratzinger. I've kind of dabbled in the communio school, but I don't feel like I know it well enough to like, mm -hmm. you know, like level devastating critiques or anything like that. I can chat about it and say like, I think this, but I could very well be wrong. Who's to say? Right. Right. Um, so I think that, yeah, like like kind of what part of having a legitimate tradition with the church is just is just doing it and doing so unapologetically, you know, without being overly subtle or nuanced. And then saying, like, let's have a conversation, but with both of us making attempts to do so well, generously, mm -hmm. uh, with a kind of intellectual charity, as Ratzinger would put it. Mm -hmm. OK, so that all being yeah. said, why do you hate Bonaventure so much? <laughs> I'm actually thinking about, so I'm applying for graduate school right now, and I'm thinking about um, writing on exemplarity. So I actually have intentions of reading a lot of Bonaventure in the near future, which will <laughs> have me, that. which will have me reading a lot of Ratzinger in the near future. So like I'm, the way Excellent. the way that's currently shaping up is chapter one is going to be a lot of 13th century Bonaventure Thomas, and then chapter five is going to be a lot of 20th century Nouvelle Theologie. So uh, why do I, I don't hate Bonaventure? Bon, yeah. Bonaventure got involved in administration, so he didn't have the same type of leisure as Thomas did to write That's true. Uh, and to speculate. So, and, and if he was and if he was writing, he was trying to, uh, to tear down Joachim. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's so. true. So so St. Thomas has the leisure to be, um, what would you say, sapiential is a stupid word, meaning he, he's not too terribly worried about the problems of his time. He does weigh in on them, especially the mendicant controversies. And he and Bonaventure, they actually uh, collaborated in that. So in 1256, when William of St. Amour was saying these religious, these new religious, they're a sign of the end times. They should be absolutely kicked out of the university because they're upstart crows. Um, Bonaventure, Albert, and Thomas all went to Rome, and uh, they defended <laughs> the mendicants with, uh, 
with great panache yeah. and a plum. So they're, they're, imagine, they're imagine being a fly on the wall there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my goodness. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been interesting. So I, I read, um, I've been, I was reading in the last few months, I was reading Ratzinger, rereading Ratzinger's thesis on Bonaventure. And it, although it's also interesting, Ratzinger was a lot harsher on Thomas in his earlier years than he was in his later years. And, uh, and, um, and part of it was because, like, like, for those who don't know, there was uh, there were different interpretations of Thomism in the early 20th century, and some definitely did not follow Thomas's uh, um, sense and his his. They didn't. I mean, I hate to put it this way. They didn't follow the spirit of Thomas. But you know, anyways. Uh, um, but it's really interesting to see. Like, like I, I was just reading in Principles of Catholic Theology where he's engaging between Bonaventure and Thomas, and he has like this great humility towards Thomas. And like, even for myself, like I said earlier, I, I haven't, I didn't really get a chance to get too exposed to too much Thomas in seminary beforehand. I would read it on my own, but then I became like those brats, right? It's like, well, well, Thomas says this, and therefore he's right. It's like he's the perennial philosopher, he's the perennial theologian. Like we have to listen to everything he says. Um, but and I think that's why it's good that you guys are on campus too, because you can help. There is a there is a passion when you're in your like early twenties when you're learning, and you're just kind of going all head in. If you have no one to guide you, it, can, it it's like a fire hose with no one to hold it. It's spraying all over the place, right? So it gives you you're helping them form them so that you're teaching them how to have accuracy with the fire hose and to really like kind of aim it well and everything like that, right? So it helps to really focus that in. And I think that's a really good thing because. I, I myself too, like I said earlier, I've come to appreciate Thomas a lot more and to see something really beautiful at work in him and I want to know him more. And 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 I'm really appreciative of guys like Javara and Ulrich who are taking Thomism and dealing with twentieth century philosophical problems at around those things like you were saying earlier, but what is? And I find that really encouraging and it incur when I'm reading them, I'm like, okay, I don't have no idea what they're talking about here. So then I go read some Thomas to help bolster that. And I find that I'm like, this has actually been really helpful for me. It gives me some clarity in ways that, and thinking in a way I never did before. And I'll always be probably a communal boy at heart, but I don't, but I also don't see an opposition between the two. Like you said, it's like a thousand, like let a thousand flowers bloom. And I think, and I think that's actually a good thing for the church too, because we can get so pitted in these eternal wars sometimes when there are bigger enemies outside of us. <laughs> that's right? true. That is true indeed. Yeah. Yeah. A, 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 an example that's often cited is that in the 16th, 17th century, there are a lot of controversies over the nature of grace, but also the Enlightenment is afoot. Right. And a lot of Catholic theologians expended themselves, you know, um, kind of drilling down on a very. It's an interesting doctrinal point, but they devoted considerable time and energy to it. And, um, you know, while, while they're engaged, you know, kind of at the street corner in this debate, the, the stores, it's burning down, like right behind them. Exactly, the exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so um, just before we conclude here, uh, you, you mentioned earlier about uh, this, uh, the Priestly Institute, right? Or, um, sure. or the, the, the Priesthood Conference. Can you mention a little bit more about that? Sure, yeah. So I guess, yeah, by way of summation, Thomistic Institute, it's a lot, a lot of it's on campus, but we also have some summer programs that are of interest for priests. We have an annual conference for priests. It's uh, three days, and it's, it's kind of like a, what, what I described earlier as an intellectual retreat. And so this summer we have a conference in Philadelphia at the Basilica there from the 21st through the 23rd of July. It's called The Future of Marriage. The speakers are Father Thomas Petrie of Twitter fame. Mm -hmm. Uh, Father Tad from the National Catholic Bioethics Center, who speaks uh, 
he'll, he'll be speaking about contraception specifically, and then Father Bill Byrne of the Archdiocese of Washington. So a nice mix, and then you have opportunity there for spending time and enjoying each other's company and praying and, uh, you know, seeing a little of Philadelphia. So that's a, that's a good thing. And then, of course, there's, as you mentioned, the podcast to listen to and Aquinas 101 on YouTube to kind of poke through if things there are of interest. The, what we're doing now is basically taking the viewer by the hand and walking him or her through the Summa Theologiae. So uh, those awesome. are all kind of with an eye towards giving you a sense of the whole. So that way, yep. if you're reading a particular topic or kind of drilling down in one thing, you'll have a sense of where it falls within the, the sweep of theology as St. Thomas conceived it. So those are all good things. Cool. And do you guys have a website or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's ThomisticInstitute.org. And then Aquinas 101 lives at Aquinas101.com. And then I guess last plug would be um, the Friars of the Province started a podcast maybe seven months ago called Godsplaining. It was mostly so that we could name it that. Um, and then refer to it as that because the name, you know, it's just like some gems come to you during the office of readings and you're like, this can only be by infused prophecy. Um, so yeah, God's planning. And that's like a domestic Institute type topics, but really on like in a more popular register. So those are 30 minute conversations, cool. uh, faith, culture, literature, arts, the things you might expect. Cool. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on with us today, and uh, thanks everybody for for listening. Uh, you can so you can find them at all the stuff that he just said. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at fr harrison. You can find Father Anthony. Where can we find you this week? You can find me trying to set, uh, track down sacramental records at my parish. Okay. <laughs> You can find the podcast at ClericalPod on Twitter. You can email us, clericallyspeaking, at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Rate us on your favorite podcast app. And please tell your friends about your podcast and tell your enemies, too, because Jesus said we must love our enemies. We thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. God bless. Peace.